Good morning to each of you this morning. Greetings in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the visitors here. Welcome here. Our numbers are a little smaller this morning because of so many that are in the Vancouver area serving the Lord there. Street work, evangelism today. Let's continue to pray for them as they are there sowing the seed. Two weeks ago, we um, looked at a name from the Old Testament. How many remember that what that name was? It's the title of the message. Anyone? It's not a common name. Anyone? It was, uh, we looked at the name that God gave to his people. And the name means, my delight is in her. And the name is Hephzibah. Hephzibah. I know that's not a very common name, but I don't know if anybody that names their child that today, but. But what God was saying to Israel and to us today was, it was an endearing term, and it means my delight is in her. Remember, we talked about God's love for Israel, God's love for the church, and as we uh, think about it, somewhat maybe a series of messages in relation to the people of God and the church and, and the meaning of that, and so we're glad this morning that God has said to us as his people that my delight is, is in you. My delight is in her. And we can have that blessing upon us. Now, this morning I've entitled the message, What Angels Wish to Know. What Angels Wish to Know. The, the scriptures have a lot to say about prophets and angels and we're going to be looking at these two groups of people this morning for a little bit and explore a little bit this question what angels wish they knew or wish to know turn with me to first peter one this is a scripture that we have crisscrossed numerous times you've heard it quoted or read and we've probably made a certain application to it. But this morning I would like to think of it more directly in this message as it relates to the people of God and to help us to understand the situation in which we live today. First Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read the entire chapter, but the verse that we're going to especially be focusing on, which is where our text is taken from is in verse 12. The last part of that verse says, um, which is now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy, Spirit, Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So we're taking our thought, our text, our title from that verse, What Angels Wish to Know. All right, 1 Peter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, 
Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto the praise, unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is in you did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or your lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy, and if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, or reverence, or awe. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Which things the angels desire to look into what angels wish to know. I'd like to look at the context first. The Apostle Peter was writing to the many scattered Christians, as we notice in the first verse 
of this of this chapter scattered across uh, all these areas and nations because of intense persecution the two epistles to the uh, to the peter wrote to the churches were written under this intense time of persecution where uh, and because of this there was a scattering of the saints he was writing them to encourage them uh, in the midst of their suffering to look to Jesus and to all that God was doing to secure their eternal salvation. Now, as you can imagine, you know, under intense persecution and suffering, like any one of us could ask the question, well, is it worth it? Or how can we endure? And, and what is God's intention in all of this? And maybe we don't always know those questions. Like they did not always know those questions. But here, the Apostle Peter is focusing on, on this uh, to help them to understand the, the unique position that they, they were in in relation to salvation and the work of God in their hearts. And so he, he encourages them in verse 4 that they, have a, that, that they have this secure inheritance waiting for them on the other side. He says, to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, it's reserved in heaven for you. And you can think this morning, if you were under intense persecution, being chased for your life, to know that, um, and to believe, and to have that secure inheritance in glory, that no matter what happens here in life, you would have that. It's secured. No one's going to take that away from you. Now you think about it in our day, when we sit here so peacefully, not facing intense persecution, but facing the onslaughts of the devil in so many different ways to destroy us. Not by physical persecution, but it's, but it's a different kind of persecution. It's the drawing away and the tendency to lose our focus and, and not think about the importance of our salvation and securing that inheritance. And so like the scripture says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And there's going to be a falling away, which is sad. But it's predicted because of iniquity. More people are going to be losing out in the end. And I think we see that. Sadly so. Losing their way, losing the, their, the provision of salvation, losing that secured inheritance that is there awaiting the faithful. And so this morning, the encouragement that we find in this passage and center around this idea now that, the, that he tells us here that the prophets and the angels have a curiosity about something. The prophets wondered, first of all, they wondered about the things that they were writing. Notice in verse 10, this salvation that, that is part of this inheritance, and as the prophets were writing down the words that were given to them, they, were, they inquired. In other words, they asked, and maybe they asked in prayer, or they asked others, they, but the answer came. 
They searched, it says, diligently. They tried to reason and understand the prophetic words that they were putting on parchment paper because it didn't make sense to them. It says, Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. That was their curiosity. As they wrote down those many of the prophetic words that we can go back and read in the Old Testament, major prophets and the minor prophets. Now it's interesting in 2 Peter 1 and verse 21, just back to 2 Peter 1, verse 21, it says there, for the prophecy, in other words, talking about the prophets, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, so this verse is saying that the old, in the Old Testament time when the prophets were writing out the prophecies, these prophecies were not created or reasoned out or understood in their own minds. They came not by the will of man. They didn't sit there and say, oh, I think this would be a good idea. We'll write this one down. Or here's a good thought. Maybe this is going to happen. We'll write this down. No. Those men, as they were writing, as I understand this scripture, as they were writing those prophecies down, their hand, their pen, it wasn't a pen, their quill, whatever it was, was not controlled by the will of man. But their pen, their writing instrument, their hand forming those words on paper was directed by this, the Holy Spirit of God. I think that's what that means. It's not by the will of man, but holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The, if you look up the word moved there, in the, uh, in the Greek, it has more the meaning of breathed. It was just in them, and it came out of them, but not because of who they were or their own inclination or will that put that message on paper, but that message went on to the parchment by the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, you think about that. If you were sitting and writing and you were writing down sentences and, and things, and you did not know where that came from. Just think about a familiar one. Say like the prophet Isaiah, sitting there writing. And he gets to chapter 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root of a dry ground. He hath no form nor calmness. We shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. And you could go right on through that chapter. And Isaiah was just sitting there just writing down those words. And he said, I don't know what this means. This doesn't make any sense to me. Who is he writing about? Who is this person? 
Or maybe it was the prophecy that, that a virgin was going to conceive and bear a son. And he was going to be called Emmanuel, which means, you know, God is dwelling with man. And Isaiah was writing all this down. I, I don't understand this, like what this is all about. I think that's what is in focus here. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. So the Holy Spirit was, was revealing this to them. When it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ. Isaiah 53 could go on. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was despised. He went like a lamb to the slaughter. All those words put on paper. Do you know that there are over 300 prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament? I didn't go look all them up myself, count them, but Bible scholars would say there's over 300 prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. And many of those men that they wrote them did not understand it. I was just think, thinking of the uh, Ethiopian eunuch there, you know, reading from the prophecy of Isaiah, riding along in his chariot. You remember the prophet Philip was directed to go and talk to him. And he got there, he caught up to the chariot. The Ethiopian eunuch pulled him on board. They got to talking. Philip asked him, you understand what you're reading? He said, I don't understand this. Is the prophet talking about himself or some other person? He was reading the prophet, Isaiah chapter 53. So he was trying to make sense of it and understand it. And so they would have known prophets as they wrote, known many of these words, these prophecies were given. That the Messiah would be born of a virgin. He would be born in Bethlehem. He would be born into the tribe of Judah. His ministry would begin in Galilee. That he would work, be, a, be a worker of miracles. That he would teach in parables. That he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey that he would be betrayed by a friend, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, that he would be accused by false witnesses, that he would be wounded and bruised, that his hands and feet would be pierced, that he would be crucified with thieves, and that his garments would be torn apart and, cast, and divided by casting lots, that it, none of his bones would be broken, but his side would be pierced, and, they that would, and then he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and that he would rise again from the dead. That's only 18 of them, of the 300. The more familiar ones, probably. But you, you see, all those prophecies were given in relation to the coming of Christ. And so these prophets were peering, as it were, trying to see beyond the horizon of their, of their life and, and what they understood about God and trying to see beyond, you know, in the dim future of what all this was about. And then they were told, it says in verse 12, 
until unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you. And so they were told, it's like God said to them, no, you won't understand this. This is not for your time. You're not going to see this in your lifetime fulfilled. This is for, for a future time. This is for a future age. This is for the future people of God under a different covenant that are going to experience this. And so, again, we see them peering in and wondering what this was, was all about. And uh, you think about this. I'll just read this quote. I think it's interesting to explain this. Such is the divine interpretation of the prophet's work. Their ministry was not for themselves, but for a later age. They must bear the burden of perplexity and disappointment, of hope deferred and doubts unresolved, in the sure confidence that others would enter into their labors. And indeed, such confidence brings all the light which we need for courageous endurance. The crown of service is to know that the service, barren perhaps, for the moment, will bear fruit in an after time. Thus the words of the apostle are the voice of encouragement to all who catch a distant and uninterrupted vision of the later fulfillment of God's will, not unto themselves, but unto you. And so we have here the, the, the apostles saying that all through the, these years and the work of the prophets and, and the work of God in bringing the Messiah to the world, and now here's the fulfillment of it, here's the blessing of it, and here's what the prophets were looking forward to and wishing that they could experience. And you and I sit here today and experience it. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that a blessing? Now, what about the angels? This is where we started. What the angels wish to know. He kind of tacks this on at the end of verse 12. After talking about the prophets, he says, well, it wasn't just the prophets that were curious. It's the angels that are curious too. Which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Okay, so not just the prophets. We can understand the, the human side of us. We all have a curiosity about mysteries and about things we don't understand. That's, that's quite human. But here he takes it to another level. He says it wasn't just the prophets in their humanity that struggled to know. But it's the angels too. So I guess the angels don't know everything. They're not infinite in knowledge, but they're looking on. They're observers of the work of God. And, of course, helpers of God and facilitators of God's will. And, of course, a part of the ministry to us as well. Now, which things the angels desire to look into, there's, there's two Greek words, and they could be combined in this word in relation to the angels desire to look into. Uh, one Greek word means to stand on tiptoe, like you're looking out over the crowd to see something that is happening. 
like one writer said, like a parade that's going past and you're standing on tiptoes trying to see what's going on. That's one of the meanings of the Greek word. Now the other meaning of the Greek word is also interesting and that means to stoop down and look into something. And it's the same Greek word that is used when Peter and John got to the tomb of Jesus and they says they stooped down to look in. And that's the same word that you have here with the angels trying to peer in and understand this. So I thought that was interesting. The angels are trying to understand something that is a mystery to them. Now, just think with me a little bit. They saw the creation. It says the sons of God are the angels. They shouted for joy when the, the God's creation just unfolded in front of them in those six days of creation. And they were part of, you know, throughout the Old Testament. I mean, that's an interesting study in itself. The whole ministry of angels and all that they were involved in. They were part of the giving of the Old Testament law, the scripture says. And they were involved with God's work with his people throughout all the centuries of time. From the very beginning of creation right through till today. And so there's that involvement. They are very, were very involved in the coming of Christ and throughout his ministry. They ministered to him in various times and places very directly. And we know that um, they would have seen the Lord Jesus in all his glory, you know, before the foundation of the world. And before he was really, the, in a sense, the Son of Man, equal with the Father, the living Word. They knew him. They understood him, who he was. He was over them. He was God. And so they, they understood and saw that. That's why we say there in Hebrews 1, when the first begotten was brought into the world, in other words, when Jesus was born there and took on human flesh, it came as a little baby in the arms of Mary. It says there that God the Father said, told the angels and let all, of the, let all the angels of God worship him. God reminded the angels, God the Father reminded the angels that though this this little child looks like a human being. He is still the son of God, and you need to worship him. Angels don't worship people. But they worship God, the God of heaven. And so there's that reminder, which we see that distinction there. Because it was God incarnate in human flesh. And we also know from the scriptures that they are sent to minister to us who are heirs of salvation. So there's, there's that work of their involvement of the angels. Now, <clears throat> what did they, what were they curious about? First Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. You think they use the word mystery there. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, that's the incarnation, justified in the spirit, in other words, the Spirit of God descended upon him as a dove, which gave him that recognition and authority, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. I like that little verse because it's the whole working of God in a nutshell of, of the plan of salvation. Now, what would they like to know? It seems from these verses that it's very similar to what the prophets tried to understand with the things that they wrote. The angels here were not writing prophecies, but they were looking on as the plan of God and salvation was unfolding 
which we know, again, was appointed before the foundation of the world, before creation. It was there. It seems that in these verses, it's the plan of salvation and the indwelling spirit that has them the most curious. In all the myriad of things in God's whole creation, the angels, you know, that the angels see and know, yet it is this whole idea of salvation and the indwelling Holy Spirit that attracts their inquisitive minds. Now, remember this, that there's no salvation for angels. None of the angels are ever saved. As far as we know, for the fallen angels that rebelled against God with Lucifer and were cast out of heaven, Revelation 12 would point out that it's a third of the stars were taken out of heaven with Lucifer and his fall. But they are reserved in everlasting chains, Jude says, in, in outer darkness. They are reserved for judgment. There's no salvation. Angels are never saved. There's the lost angels, the demon angels, and the good angels, but we have no salvation for them. They have never experienced forgiveness or regeneration or the grace of God. Are they aware of the degenerate condition of the human heart? Yes, they see it every day, all the time. They see the effects of sin. They see the effects of, of death. They see the effects of, of what the devil is doing and deceiving and, and taking men into destruction. The angels see all that. They also, on the other hand, see a holy God. And we have illustrations in Scripture of the angels and their adoration and praise and the, the voices of, 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 um, of speaking of the majesty and the greatness of God and the holiness of God. Revelation says they cry there before the throne day and night, holy, 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 to the one who sits on the throne. The angels see all that and are a part of that. And so you see the high and holy God that they worship and, and praise in eternity in the throne room of God and seeing the debauchery of this world and the wickedness of the human heart. They must be puzzled, I believe, to understand how a righteous God will forgive a fallen creature. And not only forgive, but remake regenerate and put his Holy Spirit within to possess that person and cause them to live a righteous life. They see a blasphemer who becomes an apostle. They see a drug dealer that becomes a missionary. They see a criminal that becomes a law-abiding citizen. They see a wretched sinner in the depths of sin who finds forgiveness in a changed heart and goes on to serve God in faithfulness. And how God forgives and gives his Holy Spirit and regenerates that person 
that humanity into something that he can use. And you think of that, and as the angels behold that, they're curious how that can happen. You think about the grace of God, the power of God. And I think here what the scripture is trying to help us understand is the unique position that you and I are in today. In all the centuries before, in the working of God, now in the New Testament, in the last 2,000 years, you have the fulfillment of what God was intending before the creation of the world for his people. And you and I sit here today so easily, so casually, so unassuming sometimes, and don't realize that we are a part of the very thing that the prophets and the angels, well, the prophets looked at it and wished they could live in this day and age, and the angels are still looking at it and wondering how it can all happen because they see the, the greatness of, of God at work. That's why in Hebrew, or Ephesians it says that we are on display to the principalities and powers. The church is on display to the angelic host, displaying the wisdom of God. And so God is using us as his people today, what he will do in the life of a person who commits themselves to him in this wonderful, privileged time and place that we get to live in? And how did that happen? It's just the sovereignty of God that you were born now and that you can live now and experience this now. We weren't born in the Old Testament sometime. We could have been like those prophets just looking forward and oh, wishing we could live in the, in the gospel age. They were told, no, no, you just keep going along, keep writing, keep, you know, keep following. It's going to happen later. And here we have it. I'll read another quote. What the prophets predicted but could not understand, what the angels wonder at but never experience, we understand and experience every single day. We are thus more blessed, more privileged than the prophets or the angels. We live in this time of prophetic fulfillment. We have privileges even the angels don't have. We are privileged beyond anything that we could imagine. Now, what is the meaning for us in all of this. Why did the Apostle Peter point these truths out for us to understand? We talked about the encouragement to his initial audience there who were struggling under intense persecution and death. We also need to remember, like I've said before in this message, but that it is a very <clears throat> a very special privilege to be a Christian, to be forgiven, to be sanctified, a sanctified child of God today. Tremendous privilege. Throughout all the ages past, there was a growing anticipation for this unique and special time of blessing for God's people. 
and you and I have been allowed to live in this time and serve Christ at this time. Another thing to think about is God loves you so much, even the angels are amazed. God loves us so much that even the angels are amazed of how God could forgive human beings of their sin, forgive them, adopt them into his family, and offer them an eternal inheritance with Christ. The angels can't figure that out. They don't understand it. In knowing the greatness and holiness of God, yet he chooses to love and forgive his human creatures and even give them his Holy Spirit to live within, the angels are puzzled. In conclusion, I'd just like to look at verses, the end of verses, verse 13 to the end of the chapter, just a few thoughts. I think this means to us today that we stand on sacred ground. When you think about the overall plan of God in salvation, the opportunities and blessings we have, we stand on sacred ground. And I guess what really stood out to me or hit me, I guess, in, in preparing for this message was, do I really treat my salvation with this sacred trust that has been given to us? How many times do we kind of take it for granted and just sort of assume that, yes, you know, I'll fail here, yeah, maybe today, but God will forgive me and it's all going to be okay. Do we really appreciate it the way we ought to? I think that's the question. When you think about the uniqueness of our opportunity that we have, the privilege, we can take forgiveness for granted. We can take repentance for granted and sort of somehow think that God's just going to keep forgiving us and keep, you know, giving us the opportunity for repentance. And we're glad he does. But, you know, there is going to be an end to this when God closes this door of opportunity and ushers mankind into the next phase of his will and purposes in eternity. We stand on sacred ground Angels, the angels' curiosity was captivated by this salvation that God, God was in the mind of God, in the plan of God. How much more should we respond in diligence and thanksgiving in understanding the unique position that we have? That's why I believe Rome, or Hebrews says, and we looked at this in an earlier Sunday school lesson, but how shall we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? If they could not escape, if they disobeyed the angel's word, he's saying, how shall we escape if we fail to listen to his son, the words of his son from heaven? And so this morning, do we really appreciate our salvation? And is that thanksgiving working out in our lives? We're just going to look at these very quickly. Beginning of verse 13, he says, wherefore? Wherefore, in light of what he has said before, in light of the fact that the uniqueness of our time and opportunity, the prophets wish they could live in this time, 
The angels try to figure out what all is involved. Wherefore, in light of all of this, he says, number one, we need to think right, tie up the loose ends of our thoughts, our thinking, think right. We need to keep our eye on the goal. Then the grace of Christ at his coming, the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to be careful that we don't follow the fashions of the old life and the world, verse 14. We're to be obedient children because, again, of the situation in which we live and the salvation opportunity that we have. It should cause us to never question our obedience to Christ. Why would we drag our feet? Why would we be indifferent to the claims of Christ upon us? If we really understand the, the, the situation and opportunity and blessing that we have. So wherefore, be obedient children. Don't follow the fashions of the old life in the world. Seek to live a holy life following the holiness of God, our Father. We have that in verse 15 and verse 16. Be ye holy for I am holy. Verse 17, we are to live in a respectful awe or reverence as we pass the time of our waiting here. He says, if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. As I mentioned before, that means in all. If you're standing in all of something, it's like you can be speechless and admiration and respect. And so the idea is not fear in the, in the sense of being afraid, but it's out of respect and all. And I think that has to do with the situation as we talked before of our salvation and what God has planned for us today. Well, he goes on, we are not to forget the cost of our redemption. It is the precious blood of Christ. We're not redeemed by gold or, or anything like that. But it's the precious blood of Jesus that is the only thing that re redeems us and provides that way of, of salvation. Also in verse 22, we are to love one another with an undivided and a fervent love. We talked about that in our Sunday school lesson a little bit. Being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of being corrupted by the will of God, who liveth and abideth forever. Sorry, I think it was um, verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned or undivided love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently being born again. And of course, that born again is what makes the difference in relation to that love for each other. And then we notice the last verses. You know, the only thing that will remain is God's Word. And we notice um, verse 23, By the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever, he says, our lives are like grass. They're going to be, grow up and then fade away. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is, is preached unto you. The only thing that will remain is God's word. And we have the privilege of hearing that word preached to us because it is an important part of our, of our salvation. A few thoughts now in closing. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21 says, 
For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's kind of tied into this in relation to the word that is preached to us. In the old covenant, God used angels to deliver his words to man. But now in the new covenant, he calls and gives his Holy Spirit to a man. And we do that in ordination. When a man is ordained to the ministry, God, God calls him through the church. He is given a charge in the laying on of hands, the, uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit for the call, for the challenge. And then God says, you go preach this word. You go preach my word. And that is the way God intends for us to find salvation. How much do we appreciate this morning the spiritual opportunities and blessings that God has given to us? Do we live and act in our lives as though we understand that we are living in sacred times? Sacred times. That it, is, it was God's will, his eternal purpose before the creation of the world that he wanted to see this age for his people. This opportunity. These privileges under the, the new covenant. And all that God did in, in the past history was leading up to these final days of his people on the earth. How do you feel this morning about our, your life, my life, in relation to these privileges? I think if we understand this and keep it in our minds, it will make a difference in the way we live our lives. It will. We're past the time of our sojourning. That's where we're at right now. We're all on this journey, past the time of our sojourning here thinking about all this and it should create that all and respect for what God has done for us. May God bless us as we continue to explore these truths. Let's kneel to pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your plan of salvation. And Father, we pray this morning that you would forgive us where we have not understood the seriousness of this and the responsibility it gives to us. As we think about the privilege that we, that we each have this morning to know you, to experience your salvation, to possess your Holy Spirit, and to realize that those of the saints of ages past looked at this from a long distance away and admired it and wished that they could understand and live in this time. And, but they had to minister in their day, the things that pertain to us today. And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us to understand these privileges. And may it work out in, in uh, our salvation, but also in thanksgiving, that we would identify with you and, and not be reserved in any way of a com complete commitment to your will and purposes. And, Father, we know because of what has um, been fulfilled in the past, by your divine decree that all things in the future will also come to pass and be fulfilled according to your decree. And Father, we want to wait with patience and endurance. We want to wait with all and respect for all the plan and purposes you have for us. 
and each of, that each of us would be ready for that time when the trumpet will sound and you will call an end to all of this and you will gather your people everywhere from across the globe and those of the saints of the past will rise from their graves. We can all be united with you in eternity. Father, we look forward to that where the praise will never end for all that you've done in redeeming our souls. And so, Father, we just pray you continue blessing upon us as we walk with you each step of the way. We pray this morning for those who are in Vancouver, those who are ministering there, that you would bless them and give them your protection and strength. May the seed sown be that which you can use to uh, build faith in the hearts of those who need you and have never yet found salvation. We just pray, Father, that you would bless them there. We pray that you're blessing upon us this week and may we continue each faithful in our calling. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.